Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack, and today, we've got our monthly Ask Austin Anything episode. So I've got five questions that we're gonna answer and I'm super excited to jump in. But before we do, I just wanna check in with you and see how you're doing because this is a bit of a crazy time, right? And I think it has been that way for a while, but from my personal experience and from what I'm seeing, I think a lot of us are are really wearing thin right about now. And you know, we're on the cusp, I think, um, but between COVID winter and not being able to see our friends and family and get the escapes that we normally have, whether it's just something as simple as going out to dinner or, you know, being able to travel. And then the fact that we're all working from home basically, you know, all the time and the boundaries between work and life tend to get blurred. It's been really, really hard. So I hope you're doing all right. And I shared uh, an episode about mental health last week which reflected the way that I've been feeling. You know, the last couple of weeks, month have, have definitely been the hardest for me personally with COVID. So I just wanted to check in with you. And if there's anything you want to share, you know, I'd love to to know how you're feeling and and support you if I can. So shoot me an email at austin at cultivatedculture.com. Let me know how you're doing, how you're feeling. Um, and I'm sending you all the positive vibes that I can. So today's episode is all about getting your questions answered. Now, if you want to submit your own question for the next episode of Ask Austin Anything, which will be coming out in March, you can go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. So that's cultivatedculture.com and the letter A three times. You can submit your question there. Um, We always select a couple to answer in these episodes. So let's start off with a question from Steph. Steph says, Austin, you talk a lot about reaching out to new people to grow your network, but how do you keep the relationship going after the initial conversation? So this is a great question, right? Because there is a lot of content that's focused more so on the outreach and getting in the door with people than there is about continuing in the relationship. And sometimes we can feel stuck. So the best advice that I have is to create your opening for the next conversation in the first conversation. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you're talking to somebody, you always want to look for an opportunity to open the door for the next conversation there. So one way that I really like to do this is something I call the advice triangle, which we've recorded an episode about in the past. But essentially, the advice triangle is when you ask somebody for a piece of actionable advice. And when you do that, you know, let's say you ask them if you should take this course or read that book and they say, go read that book. Well, now you have something to go do. Now you have some homework and you can report back on the homework, right? So you can go read the book and then you can follow up with them and say, hey, I read the book, you know, thanks so much. What's next? And every time we ask for a piece of advice, we're essentially opening the door for the next conversation because we can go take action on that advice and then we can report back to them. So that's one little trick that I like to use. Another thing that you can do is tee up an idea or tee up a deliverable or a follow-up, right? So if you're talking to somebody about a specific project, or maybe you're getting information about a value validation project, you can tease it and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about putting together a deck with, you know, a couple of ideas around how your team or this company can do X, Y, and Z. Uh, Do you mind if I just send it over to you when it's done at the end of the week? And now you've naturally created a touch point at the end of the week with that person. 
The last thing that you can do uh, off the top of my head here is continue to either add new information or more information on a point of common ground, right? So let's say that you both love to go skiing. Um, well, you know, you could send them some updates about a trip that you went on, or, you know, let's say that you're both into yoga or meditation, let's say, well, you could tell them about uh, this new type of meditation that you did, you could send them a new app that you're trying, uh, maybe you read an article on, on meditation or whatever it is, whether it's something personal, whether it's something business related, if there's some common ground, anytime that you can add new information or more information to that topic, that tends to be really effective. So that's something that you can come up with out of the blue. You don't necessarily need to have opened the door for that to, to go down. But you really need to be mindful about figuring out where those those points of commonality exist and keeping track of them because sometimes we have a conversation and, and you can be quick to, to forget some of the stuff that was mentioned. So trying to focus in on those points and maybe making a mental note of the conversation or in the conversation where you say, hey, that's something that I want to want to touch on later. Or I'm going to go write that down immediately after. Once you get accustomed to looking for these opportunities, you're going to find that there's so many of them, dozens and dozens of them in every single conversation. And so you really just have to get through the initial phase of training your brain to look for them. Uh, after that, it gets a lot easier, I promise. So that's how you keep the relationship going afterwards. You just continually find ways to add value, open the door for the next conversation. So Seth, I hope that was helpful. Wendy has our next question and she asks, or she says, Austin, you talk a lot about reaching out to contacts who are one level higher than your target role. I'm at the director level. So the people I need to reach out to are at the VP and C level. It's extremely hard to get a response from them given how busy they are. How do I break that barrier and make the connection? So I'm going to say two things here. First, that is definitely true. You know, when we think about the organizational hierarchy, there's a correlation between seniority and the value needed to get in front of that person. So the value that we need to get a conversation with an entry level person on a team is going to be far, far less than the value uh, that we need to get in front of, let's say, the CEO or somebody at the C level. So typically, those relationships require even more investment and even more value up front, and they take longer to develop. You know, you're typically not going to end up hopping on a call with the CEO after one email or whatever it is. You're going to need to find ways to show up and add value to them multiple times over a period of time. So I would just set your expectations to know that you're playing the longer game with those higher level folks. Not to say it's not worth going after them, um, but you also need something that is a little bit more unique or something that really grabs their attention, something that's really valuable if you want to get right in with them. But yes, it's great to go after people who are one level higher than where you are, but that's not the only way to go about it. There are plenty of people up and down the organizational hierarchy who can help you out here. So let's say that you go for somebody who might be a direct report, who might be junior to you. Well, they know the people who would be your peer, right? And they may even know the skip level manager uh, who would be your boss, let's say. They can absolutely introduce you to those people. They can absolutely put in a good word for you if they have a good relationship with that person. On top of that, you can get some really, really great information from people who may be junior to the position that you are going after. And they're going to share things from a different perspective. They may even provide some information that could be super useful to you that you wouldn't have gotten from somebody who's more senior and thinking about this in a different way. 
So I would definitely try to target those people who are one level higher than you, but I would also try to expand your targeting to include people up and down the organization and also people who aren't necessarily on the direct team, but may have some sort of an in, right? Because a warm introduction is really, really valuable. And so if you build a relationship with somebody with the goal of simply getting a warm introduction to the right contact, that can pay off big time. So what I would say is, A, absolutely go after the VP and C-level folks, but do so with the understanding that you're going to have to get more creative and you're going to have to add more value over a longer period of time. It's just going to take longer for these relationships to form. And then the second thing is that you should expand your targeting and see if there are other ways that you can get in the door by leveraging contacts who are in different parts of the organization. Uh, You can be surprised or you might be surprised at how effective uh, those relationships can be for you with that warm introduction. So, Those are my thoughts. Um, Wendy, thank you so much for the question. Next up, we have Olivia. So Olivia is asking, what advice would you give someone in their late 20s who's trying to land a job but had less than two years of work experience? So this happens a lot. People who are going back to grad school, uh, people who took gap years, people who were traveling or, or whatever it is, there's a lot of reasons why you might not have the same level of experience as your peers. And I think that's the best way to answer this question. You know, what do I do if I'm looking for a job, but I haven't been in the workforce as long as some of my peers have? And that's essentially, you know, the, the thing that a lot of us struggle with, right? If we want to change industries, we don't have as much experience in that industry as these other people. So we have to make up for it, right? Or if we're a student, you know, we might not have as much experience as somebody who uh, has been in the workforce for a couple of years, who's also applying for an entry-level role. So this is just another version of a similar problem that, that we talk a lot about and that we, you know, aim to tackle with this podcast and with the advice. So what's the answer? Well, essentially, it's to really over-index on, well, I guess the best way to put it is, one, it's to get super clear about how we can be very efficient in terms of skill building and creating a compelling case for ourselves. Uh, But then it's really getting out there and over-indexing on the value that we bring to the table. And you're going to have to go a non-traditional route. Basically, what we're doing is exploiting the fact that everybody else is relying on the same traditional system, right? So the folks who are in their late 20s, but they've been working the entire time, they're probably relying on the fact that they've been in the industry for five, six, seven years, whatever it is. They're probably relying on the fact that, you know, their resume shows that and their traditional, you know, their cover letter, their traditional materials, they show all that stuff. So they feel like they've done their work. They don't need to do anything extra. So we can actually leapfrog these people if we step outside the bounds of the traditional system and find different ways to, one, build our skills and then two, showcase our value. So how do we do that? Well, first, what I always would recommend starting with is getting out there and finding people who have made some sort of transition with a limited experience. So this could be somebody who jumped into a new industry who came from a non-traditional industry. It could also be somebody who is working in a role that you want, who also had you know less experience than their peers. Basically, somebody who is in line with your experience in some way. And then I would reach out to them and I would try to get an understanding of, okay, you know, you were non-traditional, I'm non-traditional. What's the best bang for your buck here? Like, what course can I take? What project can I start? Where can I invest my time where I'm going to get the most return in terms of building my skills and making myself a stronger, more compelling candidate for these roles? And if you talk to a broad range of people who have that non-traditional background or that limited experience, one, you're going to be talking to people who have already been down this road, right? So two, they're going to be able to help you understand specifically what the best bang for your buck is in terms of 
you know, things to invest in courses, certifications, projects, et cetera. But three, they're also going to be able to tell you what pitfalls to avoid, right? They're going to tell you, you know, hey, I, I thought this was a good idea. Everybody recommends it. It's a waste of time. Don't do it. Um, or, hey, a lot of people position their experience like this, but that's actually a bad idea for X, Y, and Z reasons. So don't do that. Do this other thing instead. They're going to be able to coach you uh, in a way that pretty much nobody else would be able to who hadn't gone through this experience themselves. Um, and then finally, these people are going to be able to give you the roadmap uh, in terms of pitching yourself, right? They're going to be able to tell you exactly how you should be presenting your non-traditional background in a way that these employers will buy into it. And now they're on the other side, right? So they can see what works, what these people actually buy into. Um, so for those, those reasons, uh, I always recommend starting with the folks who have a similar background to you who came from something non-traditional or had limited experience. And once you've kind of honed in on a plan, once you've talked to enough people and you, you have a, a confident guess at, okay, these are the things I need to focus on, going out there and building those skills is great, but then we want to try to find ways to apply the knowledge to the real world, right? So a big mistake that a lot of people make is they go take a course or they go read a book or whatever it is, and then they go apply for a job. But just simply taking a course or getting a certification isn't really indicative of your ability to do the job. It's just showing that you've acquired the knowledge. So, you know, this is essentially equivalent to me going and saying, hey, I took a course in astrophysics and then I stopped there. Did I get an A? Did I get a D minus? Did I get an F? I'm not telling you and you have no idea. So how could you ever, you know, effectively gauge my value? Whereas if I showed up and said, hey, I took this course in astrophysics and I got an A, you would probably feel better about that than if I showed up and said, hey, I got a D, right? You know, probably not going to hire the person with the D. So if you want to get recognized and make this transition, you not only need to get the knowledge, but you need to get real world results that show that you know what to do with the knowledge. So this is getting out there and creating some sort of portfolio. And, you know, if you're a creative, this is familiar to you. You know, if you're jumping into graphic design, you're going to go create some designs and put them in a portfolio. But this works across the board. You know, if you want to be a software engineer, you can go start coding out apps or projects or programs that are interesting to you. And you can add them to your portfolio. If you want to be in sales, something that you could do is go audit other people's sales strategies. And you could basically write up a blog post case study of who's doing what well and why. You know, if you want to be in marketing, you could go run a competitive analysis on some of your target companies and you could start writing up blog post case studies for, you know, why this company is getting beat out by XYZ competitors, where the gaps are in their marketing plan, how to shore them up. Essentially, you want to get out there and you want to find ways to showcase your skills. And the easiest way to do that is to do your research, to study these companies in this industry that you're targeting and find areas where you can add value, whether you know, you're the person who audits companies and, and share solutions for better marketing, whether you're the person who takes companies Facebook ads and shows how your conversion focused design uh, helps, you know, lead to better outcomes or whatever it is. Anytime that you can do that, you're creating your own experience, but you're also giving people uh, a look into your thought process. So basically the way this works is you head to like a medium.com or you go to a, a LinkedIn and, and maybe use their long form articles feature and you sit down and you say, okay, you know, what do I want to be known for? What kind of brand do I want to build for myself? Uh, who are my target companies and what research can I do on them? Can I basically come up with a hypothesis, go out there and, and do the research and then either prove that hypothesis correct or incorrect and then provide some supporting evidence? And basically, if you get in a routine of sharing these case study posts publicly, that's a whole body of work that people can check out. 
So those are essentially value validation projects that we're creating early. And that's going to be really, really effective for you. The other thing you can do is just simply rely on a value validation project. But if you have a body of work and you're building it over time, it's just going to show that you, you've been invested in this for longer than just the interview process. And, and that's going to increase your chances of getting in the door. So Olivia, that's what I would recommend. I would get out there and figure out where you should be spending your time to build skills efficiently, build the skills that employers actually want. And then I would try to find a way to turn that knowledge and those skills into real world results, whether it's through freelancing, whether it's through creating case study blog posts or building something out yourself or designing something yourself, whatever it is that you can do to get real world results and share them publicly, that's only going to be to your benefit. And that's actually going to help you leapfrog some traditional candidates. So that was a great question. I loved it. Thank you for asking. Jose is our next question. And he is asking, uh, you know, I've seen many job postings with a note that reads, you know, quote, for queries, queries about the role, please contact, you know, X person at exitemail.com. And so the questions that he's asking is, you know, if there's a contact person listed, if we see that line, you know, for inquiries about this role, email this person, does emailing that person actually help your chances of getting an interview? And I would say that the answer is... Probably no, but I still might do it anyway. So why is that? Well, at the end of the day, you know, people like to do what's easy. They take the path of least resistance. That's why so many people still apply online. That's why so many people still hit the easy apply button. And so this is another piece of low hanging fruit, right? Everybody's heard that they need to network, that they need to connect with people at the company and who better to connect with than the person whose email is slapped right on the job description. Well, the problem with this is that you and 10,000 other people also have the same idea. So this email address is probably getting just masses of email pouring in every day. And it's really hard for this person to look through every one and to differentiate you know, your email from the hundreds of others that are coming in that may or may not be of substance. And so by and large, what tends to happen is that they are kind of rushing through these emails or they're just not looking at them at all. And it's really hard to stand out. But at the same time, you also never know if yours will be the one that stands out. So yes, it's worth emailing this person, uh, but I would do so with the expectation that nothing would happen. And instead, I would focus your time on people who can influence the your ability to get hired, right? So what I mean by that is this person who is the, quote, contact person for the role, they're likely not the hiring manager. They're likely not the person who's on the team. They're likely working in HR. They're likely a recruiter. So even if you do get in touch with them, even if you somehow cut through the noise, the best that they can do is get you an interview. They don't have any influence over the final hiring decision. So our time is much better spent focusing on people who A, don't get nearly as much outreach, so maybe easier to get in touch with, but B, are actually going to be in the room where the hiring decision is made. And if we can build a relationship with that person, we can get referred in and get an interview the same as we could have with you know whoever is listed on the job posting. But we have a relationship with somebody who's going to be making the final hiring decision at the end of the day. And that's really, really powerful. So the long, short answer here is essentially, yes, send them an email. Don't spend a ton of time on it. Don't expect too much back. And then focus the vast, vast majority of your time on the people who will be in the the room where the hiring decision is made. Now, our last question comes from Susie. And this one's a bit of a doozy. So Susie is asking how to stop comparing yourself to others. So while you're applying for your dream job, some of your friends and acquaintances may already have a senior position or a leadership role or maybe, quote, ahead of you on the journey of, you know, business or whatever it is. So how do you stop the feeling of being behind? 
Now, this is a great question. And I think I'll probably lead by saying that I'm not sure I have a solid answer because this is still something that I struggle with. And it's really interesting because you know, for my whole early career, I figured that, you know, if I started my own business, I'd be in total control and I could make anything that I want happen. And I'd be living, you know, the best life and I wouldn't have really any worries and everything would be great. And it would just be straight to the top. And that wasn't necessarily the case. I absolutely love running my own business. And I'm so grateful every day for the opportunity to create something like this that people like you actually listen to and and to be able to share, you know, the knowledge that that I've come across and and the experiences that I've had and and help, you know, people like you land jobs. But there are some really interesting aspects that I didn't foresee. You know, we think that if we leave the nine to five rat race, that all of those feelings of comparison and climbing the ladder and stuff will go away. And they don't. You're still comparing yourself to other entrepreneurs and you create a new ladder for yourself in the entrepreneurial world. And you're sort of seeing who else in your space is at your level or above you or below you or, or whatever it is. Um, and we just do that subconsciously. That's human nature. So how do we combat this? You know, this is something that, that I'm working on every day. And what I found that that works, uh, but is definitely isn't easy, uh, but it does help, is to focus on shifting the perspective, kind of reframing things to go from negative comparison to sort of leading with gratitude. So what do I mean by that? Well, typically, if I run into a situation where I'm feeling some comparison, like I see somebody, let's say, create a post on LinkedIn that blows up and I'm like, why didn't I post that? Instead of getting angry and harboring it, what I'll do is try to nip it in the bud by messaging that person and supporting them in what they did. So saying, hey, you know, I love this post. I'm so glad that it got all of all of this, you know, engagement and so many people saw it because it's such an awesome message. Like kudos to you for for putting this out there and, you know, wording it the way that you did. It's truly awesome. And like, I'm so happy that, that, that this is out there in the world. Another thing that that I like to do is I've been focusing on getting out there and telling at least one person a day how much I appreciate them. And usually I try to focus on people that, you know, aren't in my immediate vicinity, you know, people like family and immediate friends. Like I talk to them all the time. I tell them I love them. I tell them I appreciate them. What I try to do is go for people who are not in my immediate network, but I still do appreciate. It's not insincere, but I'll go find people who are commenting on my posts or maybe in in this case or your case, it could be somebody at the office who you interact with every day, but maybe you just haven't stopped and said like, hey, I really appreciate you. And what these things do is they sort of force your brain to look at the situation positively. And they sort of force your brain to find, you know, take a positive perspective uh, on just the general like space that we're operating in. And it definitely alleviates the feeling of comparison. Sometimes it's just for a short while. Sometimes it's, it's for longer. But if we can train our brains to essentially view these instances or, or these comparative things as, you know, we're seeing other people be successful and that makes us happy, especially if we care about these people. And we reinforce that through sending messages and through our words and our language and our interactions. Those are the connections. Those are kind of the neural pathways that that we're creating in our brain versus, you know, creating those pathways of negativity. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, they say, you, you know, if you plant seeds in a garden, the ones that get watered are the ones that grow. Another good analogy I've heard is, you know, if you sort of have like a little a little groove, right? And there's water running through the groove, you know, as more water runs through it, the groove gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so 
that's essentially what we're talking about here. Like, where are you putting your energy? Where Where is the flow going? Because basically what you water, you know, where the water goes, where the energy goes, that's what's going to be reinforced. So that is really, really important. And I find that the last thing I'll say is just talking about it. So whenever I have these feelings of comparison, if I just talk to somebody and express that I'm feeling this way, I tend to feel a lot better after I've put it out there. I think we don't realize how much of this self-talk happens in our own heads behind the scenes, and we never really have an outlet for it. So I found that if we just find somebody to, to speak to who does understand, you know, we want somebody who's able to listen and, and empathize or sympathize at least and, and kind of get where we're coming from, that tends to be super helpful. So if I'm feeling comparison syndrome, I'll call up one of my entrepreneur friends and I'll just say, hey, have you ever felt this way? Like, I, it's a weird feeling, but, you know, I saw so-and-so's post or I saw they're launching a course and I'm really happy for them. But at the same time, I feel like I'm behind and not doing enough. Like, does that make sense? And most of the time they'll come back and say, oh my God, I was just feeling the same thing. And we tend to find that we're not alone in these thoughts and you truly are not. You know, this is something that that pretty much all of us struggle with. So to recap, I would say, you know, try to find a couple of people that, that can be your confidants. And uh, when you're feeling this way, definitely, you know, work through it a little bit yourself, but don't hesitate to reach out to these people and just be honest and, and share, you know, what's on your mind, get it off your chest. And then when you have the opportunity, try to create some space for gratitude and for, you know, supporting these other folks and try to throw positive energy at the problem instead of harboring negative energy and kind of, you know, making those grooves run deeper and deeper or watering that seed of negativity, right? So I hope that helps. But again, you know, this is not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. And I'm somebody who's working through this problem and, and still, you know, deals with this problem regularly as well. So uh, take that advice as you will. That's just some stuff that I've, I've seen work for me. Um, but sometimes I'm not always the best at following through on it every single day. We're all human here. And that's kind of the, the fun part about this whole journey. You know, we're working through it together. But Susie, thank you for the question. And thank all of you for, for tuning in. I really have a lot of fun on these AMA episodes because uh, we get to go a little longer and we get to talk about some stuff outside of just, you know, the traditional content. So I really do appreciate you listening in. That's it for today's AMA episode or AAA episode. But if you want to submit a question for next month's episode, uh, you want me to answer your question, all you have to do is go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA and you can submit your question right there. Again, that's cultivatedculture.com forward slash and then the letter A three times. We'll see you in the next episode.